All right. I'm stretching. Let's close this year out by talking about Oh Holy Night, huh? So this one is going to be the last one, I guess, for 2021. So then see you in 2022. But uh, I, <laughs> I was supposed to give a lesson on Oh Holy Night this past week, but then I was around uh, someone that had a positive COVID case, so I wasn't able to give it, so I thought I'd give it here as something of a Christmas episode. Now, when you listen to this, whether you're walking or driving or doing whatever, I encourage, if you can, stay to the end because there's a surprise. You'll see what I mean. Now, what's going on with Oh Holy Night? Oh, by the way, my name is John. If you're checking this, if you're checking this out for the first time, my name is John. I was trained as a pastor. Uh, I do this for fun. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, we'll see. Anyways, my name, uh, yeah, is John, but let's talk about this hymn, Oh Holy Night. I don't know about you, but I always thought this was a fantastic hymn. It's a classic for good reason, especially around Christmas time. The melody, everything about it is just so profound, right? But I decided to dig a little deeper because some of the lyrics in it I thought were really fascinating. And what happened was that this hymn just kind of uh, blew wide open for me. So let's break it down, okay? This isn't that old of a hymn, Oh Holy Night. Did you know that? In fact, it was originally a French poem. I'm going to probably say this name poorly. Placide Capot in 1843 in France. It was originally a French poem, O Holy Night, called Cantique de Noël, which I'm probably certain I also did not say that with a proper French accent. But it was written in 1843, composed to music, though, in 1847 by Adolf Adam. So that means this song existed as a poem for four years before it was put to music. And then it wasn't until eight years later, in 1855, that it was translated into English by John Sullivan Dwight. Now, this may not seem important, but I think it's utterly profound. A French poem was put to music, and within 12 years, it was already translated into English and on another continent. It traveled from Europe to England by that point. This is before planes. This is before uh, internet, obviously. So the fact that it, it crossed the Atlantic is pretty profound for 1843. Okay, now here's what you need to know is that this version, this this hymn, O Holy Night, became super popular in the U.S., in the North, because of its third verse, or however many verses you put to it. But there's a verse in there that's explicitly, get this, abolitionist. So the original lyrics to it include some stark commentary on what was happening around the world and across the Atlantic at that time. And so today, 
This song still exists, obviously. We sing it today. But in France, it's often the first, the first hymn song at the Midnight Mass on Christmas Eve. It's just gorgeous, right? But its abolitionist hymn, uh, its abolitionist verse is, For truly he taught us to love one another. Um, for chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Woo. So when you hear that verse, perhaps you've sung it, perhaps you've heard it. But in context, this, this verse was pretty, pretty remarkable. Now, why? Okay. So it was translated into, I'm super, I'm going full nerd right now. This is complete history lesson. This hymn which was translated into English in 1855. Let's think about this. What was happening in America at that time? Okay. Well, in 1852, the first American steam engine was uh, tested. In 1852, Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe was published in Boston. So it... It was translated into English three years after some major things started happening. Yeah. And then in, in 1855, the same year that this was translated into English, there was the Panama Railroad, which connected the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean via railroad. Walt Whitman published Leaves of Grass. But here's this. In 1856... A year after O Holy Night was translated into English and brought to America, Charles Sumner, a politician from Massachusetts, got in a fight with Preston Brooks from South Carolina, and it was a fight in the Senate. Southern, uh, Preston Brooks uh, took his cane and started a fight and started beating Charles Sumner in the Senate room because Charles Sumner was an abolitionist who wanted to overthrow slavery, but Preston Brooks from South Carolina didn't like that, so he beat him with his cane until it splintered. This is in the Senate chamber in 1856, a year after this hymn was brought to America. So tensions were very high. Now, I also found out apparently Southerners, in an act of solidarity, sent to Preston Brooks extra canes to replace the one that he broke and splintered when he started fighting back against Charles Sumner. Things are tense around this topic of the end of slavery. The abolitionists and the non-abolitionists in 1840s and then 1850s, tensions were getting higher so much so that it finally actually led to a full-scale fight in the Senate. I didn't learn about this. Not in this way. Okay, but let's think. The American Civil War started and ended on April 12th, 1861, which is still five years after this fight broke out 
in the Senate, but then it finished on May 9th in 1865. Throughout all of this, in the North, O Holy Night was being sung for a full 10 years until the end of uh, the American Civil War. So all of this is happening. And I, I found out recently, just a couple days or weeks ago, there's this famous quote that makes things rather quite murky. Abraham Lincoln was having a correspondence back and forth with Horace Greeley. You can look this up. And back and forth, Greeley was an abolitionist who thought Abraham Lincoln needed to be more overt with where he stood in regards to slavery. And there was a publication where Abraham Lincoln said this, quote, If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. Abraham Lincoln, as president at his time, in this correspondence, which is quite murky when you hear it, obviously, sounds like he's more interested in keeping unity than he seems to be in being overtly about the abolition of slavery. Now, he does finish that correspondence by saying, I intend no modification of my oft-expressed personal wish that all men everywhere could be free. So here's even Abraham Lincoln, yes, who's one iconic, really, speaking about slavery in America and the Civil War and his own personal feeling that the Union was the most important thing. And that he'll do whatever would would make for that to happen. Now, this kind of paints everything slightly differently. In the 1850s and 60s, at the height of all of this in the Civil War, we've got to deal with the fact that there's a very popular Christmas hymn that seemed to be one of the main songs Now, what's fascinating is that this was a Christmas hymn. It wasn't an Easter hymn, okay? It wasn't just a normal hymn. This was a Christmas time one. Because the Christmas narrative, the story, the nativity, the incarnation is all about the mighty God becoming low and ushering in peace and goodwill towards all. And so it's, it's fascinating to me that a lot of Christmas hymns, a good number of them, are actually protest songs. Yeah, just like folk era against Vietnam. Uh, Christmas songs are often protest songs against war, against oppression, against despair, against death, against hopelessness against violence, damnation, against walking in darkness because now a light has shone. And so there's this underlying theme that happens at Christmas that's so much deeper than just the hallmark Christmas, which is cute, which is lovely, which is adorable, right? When we have 
nativity scenes or pageants where children dress up as sheep or shepherds or something to, to come and visit uh, Jesus in a, in a nativity play. But beneath all of that is this deep thing where there's a different ordering of the world that's now being inaugurated of peace and goodwill towards all. That war, oppression, despair, death, hopelessness, violence, damnation, and even here in O Holy Night, even slavery done away with. And so some of these Christmas hymns are actually highly political because when you start talking about the kingdom of God and its principles versus the kingdom of man and its principles, they do not line up. Now, let's... Let's rewind just a little bit because in the New Testament, there is the first Christmas song ever, (laughs) which is found, let's say it's in Luke, all right? Luke chapter one, there's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she sings a song of praise that has since been passed down throughout the ages and known as the Magnificat, which is a breakdown from Latin because the opening line is she magnifies the Lord, magnus, right? Like magnets, uh, to magnify, to uh, glorify. So here we go. I'm going to read the first Christmas song ever written. Okay, it's about the incarnation. It's about the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Mashiach. Ready? This is Luke chapter one. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Here we go. This is where it gets a little punk rock. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her, her uh, Elizabeth, for three months and then returned to her home. Let's focus in on a few phrases there. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. And lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And he sent the rich away empty. This Magnificat, especially in Luke, is all about an upside down kingdom. That inverts all the usual uh, values and variables that we hold to. And so this Magnificat is really remarkable because it sets the tone for what a lot 
a lot of what happens afterwards throughout the Gospel of Luke, which is one of the narratives about Jesus's life. It shows us that God is actually on the side of the poor, on the side of the lowly, on the side of the hungry, you could say on the side of the oppressed, which is really, in reality, consistent with the book of Exodus, where God is in favor of setting the Israelite slaves free. Yeah, so this is consistent. O Holy Night, in its time, was sung proudly by the abolitionists in the north, but not so much in the south. How fascinating, right? And so what we have here is actually a hymn that was a protest hymn, O Holy Night, against the institution of slavery. Ooh, and it spread like wildfire. A few weeks ago, uh, I went and looked up this hymn in a, a hymnal, and I was shocked to see that it didn't contain this verse about slavery, even though this was an abolitionist hymn. So there's something fascinating, because in some parts of America, in the 1850s, this hymn was banned from being sung because it connected oppression and the overthrowing of it with the incarnation, with the Christmas story. And so you couldn't have people going around at Christmas time singing about a savior who liberates, just like Moses did, at a time when slavery was still allowed, when it was still in heated debate in America. And so what's brilliant is that this hymn was a protest hymn and that it, po it pointed the way towards a different way of organizing the world, a different way of organizing life, a different way of doing my goodness, for lack of a better word, politics. The polis. How do we do this life together? So I was absolutely blown away. As I started looking up some of the context and the things that were happening, especially with when you talk about the fight between Charles Sumner and Preston Brooks in the Senate in 1856. Excuse me. This hymn... Now it's got layers of depth to it. And I will absolutely hold it differently the next time I sing it. Now, let's wrap this up, okay? I want to say uh, Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> but, but Merry Christmas in a deep way. Merry Christmas, not in necessarily a Hallmark way, although I, I do hope that it's a, a warm and, and loving holiday break for you however i also would like to say merry christmas to you and may you see that christmas is actually about the institution of a whole new way of living that christmas is about the already but not yet it's about there's already the kingdom of god happening but it's not yet here in its full completion and so what we have on the one side is the kingdom of God and on the other side, the empire of man. And Christmas is all about 
the tension between those two things. And it's all about how saying in the midst of the empire of man, with all the fractured ways that we organize ourselves, with all the, the poor ways that we institutionalize uh, oppression or death or uh, abuse or consumerism, all the ways that we build our little empires and try to strive and get ahead of each other. Into that dark world was born light. And into that dark world was born the kingdom of God that subverts and overthrows through kindness and love and revolution of human hearts. That kingdom of God inch by inch, grass blade by grass blade, overthrows and overgrows the empire of man. And so may you this Christmas come to see that this is more than just a kitschy holiday. This is about recognizing that light was born into a dark world and that there is another way possible. Merry Christmas to you. I hope this finds you well. And Keep listening because there's a treat for you next. All right. Grace and peace to you. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth Long lay the world in sin and error pining Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth Sweet hymns of joy 
In grateful chorus raise we with all our hearts We praise His holy name Fall on your knees Christ was born.